Today's sermon passage comes from Exodus 13, verses 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Father and our God, this morning we gather in the name of Jesus. In doing so, we believe that he is your son, our savior, the Lord. We believe that our hope is in him. We believe that our life is from him. We believe that your presence is through him. We believe that he is your word, your light, your truth. And Lord, we know that we need your spirit to help us see Christ and believe, see Christ and trust, see Christ and have hope, see see Christ and walk by faith. Lord, we need these things today. Would you pour out your spirit on your people, we pray. Would you draw us to yourself? Would you fill us with your grace? Would you fill us with your love? Would you fill us with hope this day, we pray. For the glory of Jesus, for the joy of your people, for the good of your kingdom. Help us, Father, we pray. Amen. So good to have you all with us this morning. If you have not already, I want to ask you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 13. Here at Redeemer, we are studying through Exodus together. Uh, we, we've done so, as Austin said earlier, under this banner of our God saves. The one true God saves his people. Now, our story in the book of Exodus is coming, has come to a transition. God's people, Israel, have been saved. They've been delivered out of slavery in Egypt. And now they are on a journey to the promised land. What's going on in the book of Exodus, beginning here in chapter 13 and carrying through all the way to the end, is God's people have been saved out of Egypt, but they are not yet home. They're not yet in the promised land. They're on a journey. A journey through, dare I say, a fallen world to the promised land. Now, we have said from the beginning, any connection that we have to Exodus is through Christ. It's through Christ. Very simply, if you are not in Christ, the scripture would say you're still stuck in Egypt. You're still stuck in bondage and in slavery and in sin. Or in Christ, you've been delivered from sin. You've been delivered from death. You've been delivered from bondage. But guess what the scripture also says? Those of us who are in Christ, as long as we're on this earth, are not yet home. We too are on the journey from salvation toward our everlasting home. 
And it is this journey that we call discipleship. It's this journey that we call sanctification. It's this journey that we are all experiencing. And what I would argue is this desert wandering narrative in the book of Exodus is our metaphor. It is our connection. It is, it, it explains so much about what it looks like to live for Christ in a world where we're headed home, but we're not there yet. These verses, which Joshua just read for us, seem to pile up three random facts. Tells us about their route. It tells us that they toted some bones with them. And it tells us that God led them every step of the way. But if you put all that together, what you have is a beautiful philosophical overview of the journey. What you have are three vital truths that shape the journey. They shape the journey for Israel, and I'm here to contend that in Christ they shape the journey for us. Here they are. First, we're going to see that the journey is a journey of grace. It's a journey of God's kindness. Second, we're going to see that it's a journey of faith. This is a journey for those who trust God, who trust his word and trust his faithfulness. And third, we're going to see that this is a journey in God's presence. What's going on in these verses, and I believe the reason that that Moses, who wrote Exodus, dropped these verses right here is to shape how we read the whole journey. The whole journey was God providentially and sovereignly being a gracious leader to his people. The entire journey was God showing his faithfulness in a way that his people would trust him. And the entire journey is God saying, I am present with you. You follow me. That's what's going on in the journey. So these three truths, they, they, they spring up and they come together around this banner. God is leading his people home. And he wants us to see his hand in the journey. So that's the truth for today. I've entitled this sermon, The Long Way Home. And if you want to take notes, that is our first point, The Long Way Home. This one touches a nerve with me because I grew up in the home of a stepfather who always took the long way home. I mean, why take four-lane interstates with no red lights or stop signs when there's a long and windy road with a speed limit of 25? Why? No kidding, a month ago, my stepfather had cataract surgery and I wasn't able to be there. And so they left they left the surgery center at noon to make a one-hour trip. So at 1.30, my sister and I started calling home to make sure he got home safe and that he was settled and he didn't need anything. No answer. His brother had picked him up at the surgery center. They got home at 5 o'clock. You know why? Because they took the long way home. So while it touches a nerve with me, I grew up in a home that taught me, and my stepdad would contend loudly today, that the, the efficient path is not always the better path. 
And what this says in verses 17 and 18 is God intentionally chose the longer path home for his people because he knew the longer path was the better path. Not the easier path, not the more efficient path, but the better path. Let's look at this together. Because I don't want you to think I'm reading something here that's not there. Verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, so that's speaking of the exodus out of Egypt, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Now, now hear this. The way of the land of the Philistines was the direct path. It was the shorter path. It was the more developed path. And it was an often inhabited path. The land of the Philist, the, the, the short path from where the Israelites were in Egypt to the promised land, the land of the Philistines, there was actually a developed trade route that went straight from point A to point B. It was direct, it was short, it was developed, and it was inhabited. Okay, man, the book of Exodus needs to be 15 years long, right? Keep reading. For God said, he didn't lead them that way though. Why? Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So hear this. God chose the longer path. He chose the path through the desert. He chose the path through the wilderness. He chose the path that was going to take them into an immediate predicament. How will we get across the Red Sea? And why did he do that? Because he knew they were not yet ready for the conquest of the promised land. You see, the Lord knew that the promised land would require Israel to to lead a conquest against its inhabitants. He knew that Israel was not ready for the conquest. He knew that it would take time for them to get ready for the conquest. And by grace, he took them on the longer path so they would be ready to inherit the promised land when they got there. Let me say that one more time. By grace, he took them on the longer path so that providentially they would be ready to inherit the promised land when they got there. Now, if that's true, guess what that means? The whole Red Sea thing, oh no, Pharaoh's going to kill us, that's coming, was a gift of grace. That whole, we don't have food, what will we eat? And God providing manna for them was a gift of grace. That whole, we don't know where we'll get our next water, but we're stuck in the desert. Maybe we should go back to Egypt. And then God miraculously provides them water was a gift of grace. What this passage is saying is that God took them on the long way home because the long way home was how he would lovingly and graciously and providentially prepare them for the promised land. I don't, bring you here every week to just read you a quote from the study Bible that you have in your lap, but I'm going to do that this morning. The ESV study Bible, reflecting on these verses, says, quote, Before the Lord calls Israel to trust that he will fight through them, as he will in chapter 17, taking the promised land, 
He will show them once again how he will fight for them in chapter 14 at the Red Sea. God is so committed to his people that he will lead them down the path that leads them to most enjoy his blessing, even if that path is inefficient, is difficult, and harder. That's the truth of these verses. Now, I said earlier that our connection to the Exodus story is Christ. Okay, So let's connect that by application. God's commitment to those in Christ is just as firm as his commitment to Israel in this Exodus narrative. And if God, think Romans chapter 8 verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is that committed to his people, then likewise, on our journey from being delivered to being home, every step is a gift of his providence, no matter how challenging the step. If that is true, then here's the challenge for you, O Christian. Learn to interpret God's providence as an act of grace. Learn to interpret God's providence as an act of grace, as an act of sanctification, as an act of preparation, as an act of molding and shaping us to be ready to enjoy his blessings forever. If I can be transparent, is that okay for me to be transparent here? Just a few friends and Facebook, hello. Um, man, the early years of Redeemer were hard. And one of the reasons they were hard is because like everybody that my wife and I would befriend who was far from the Lord, like they would come close and we'd pour into them and then they would go to one of the big churches here in town. And they'd come close and we'd pour into them and they'd get right with the Lord, and then they go to one of the big churches here in town. And we would just sit there, and we'd be like, what, what is this? What is this? Looking back, I can't help but see it as the providence of the Lord preparing us to love him more than the results of ministry. But we had to walk that long and windy path to learn that lesson that prepares us for what he has for us. So people of God, let's learn from the longer way home to interpret God's providence as an act of God's grace. Second point, if you're taking notes, I entitled this Joseph Goes Home. That's partially true. Joseph doesn't go home. Joseph's dead, but his remains go home. And what we see in verse 19 is before Joseph died, this is actually many generations in the past, before Joseph died, he asked and, and demanded that at some point in the future when God would deliver Israel from Egypt and he would take them back to the land, 
back to the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, back to where their remains were, he, by faith, said, I want my remains to go too. Joseph heard God's word and believed it to be true and gave a command rooted in faith. This is actually found for, so first of all, let's look at verse 19. Moses took with them the bones of Joseph. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. That's referring back to Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 through 25. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin. Joseph's last words were, when the Lord faithfully keeps his promise and delivers you out of this land, take my bones with you. Now, lest you think I'm reading too much into this, the author of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 22 says this, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Do you see what's going on here? Joseph believed God's promise and made provision accordingly. God's faithfulness is always intended to bring about the faith of his people. And Joseph so knew and so trusted God's faithfulness that by faith he said, take my bones with you. And hundreds of years later, as they march out, they're carrying his coffin. And that's just a little bit strange, isn't it? We're in a hurry to leave. Wait, wait, wait. We got to get the bones. What about, what's the big deal with the bones? Why are we carrying the coffin? We're in a hurry. Here's the coffin. What's the coffin say? God is faithful. God keeps his promises. We are the people of faith. We're the ones who have trusted God's word generation after generation after generation. This journey is about God's people trusting God to do the things that God must do for them. The bones are a testimony to the faithfulness of God and the faith of those that God has revealed himself to. And every step of the way, the people of Israel were intended to be the people of faith. The point was never they were strong, therefore they were powerful. The point was never they were many, therefore they were powerful. The point was never they were good at war, therefore they were free. The point always was their God is present and he works for them and they trust him. God always wants his people to be known for trusting him to do his work and fulfill his word on their behalf. And friends, in Christ, that is true today. The Lord wants us to be known for our faith in him. Not 
faux moral superiority, not faux self-righteousness or self-righteousness, not as a voting block, not as a majority of power in our land, but as the people who depend upon the power of God to save and to deliver. Now, we don't get to tell God what to do. That's the long journey part. He tells us what he will do, but as he speaks, he calls on us to believe. This passage says, children of Jesus, see your life as a journey of faith. At every turn, the Lord is molding and shaping us to trust in him. At every turn, the Lord is molding and shaping us to lean into and depend upon him. After the first service, a gentleman pulled me aside and we were talking about the sermon. He said, man, I, he said, I look back on my life, just like every, I see that every time things are going really, really well, I drift away from the Lord and he has to wake me up. Look, maybe I'm just selfish, but I want to find a way for things to go well and not drift away from the Lord. All in favor, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. The path of blessing and the path of faith can be the same thing. The Lord wants us to trust and depend upon him. If you woke up today with an extra million dollars sitting on your front porch, the Lord wants you to walk by faith as a millionaire. I have no idea how to do that. I'm sure there's somebody who could help you. And if you woke up today like Job, with nothing left to cling to, the Lord wants you to walk by faith, trusting him with nothing. In both places, he's glorified when we depend upon him and his word and his ways. Christian, Jesus didn't save us from death so that we could become self-sufficient. He just didn't. He saved us from death so that we could glorify his power. And celebrate his power. So let's be the people of faith who lean into and depend upon and trust wholly the Lord. Third reality for the journey. And if you're like, man, I really would like some more of that. Man, that's what the rest of Exodus is. Like, we're going we're gonna to follow these streams. Here's the third reality. I called it no GPS required. It's in verses 20 and 21, but this is the reality. The reality is every step of the journey was in God's presence. And the response of Israel was to follow the Lord. Now, I said no GPS required because most of us, when we go somewhere, we put in where we're going into our phone. We hit map, we hit start, and it tells us even which direction to turn out of our driveway. Like we don't know. But we listen to it and we follow it. 
I mean, like, can we just be real? I mean, how many of you use GPS to get here this morning? If you're a first-time visitor, that's okay. But for all y'all that have been here like 100 times, how many of you use GPS to get here this morning? Good, good, good. I'm very proud of you. For the 30 of you that were ashamed to raise your hands, it's okay. Here's the crazy thing. My, my family and I, for fall break, we were on vacation out in Utah. And for some reason, Utah apparently doesn't have a good relationship with all the cell phone carriers because there is no signal to be had there at all. So you're trying to go somewhere you've never been before. You're literally in a desert. It's very hot. It's, it's all the things you read about here. You hit start, you hit go, you turn right, and then it says, you've left the path. Now I'm on the path. You have no idea if you're going to get there or not, right? I suspect that most of us following after Jesus feel much more like me in Utah than me following turn by turn. Here's the crazy thing about this story. God said, you don't have to wonder about where, when, or how. Just follow my presence. Verse 20, and they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they may travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from them from before the people. Do you see what's going on here? God gave them a pillar. That would have been a gift of grace. But what, what was in the pillar, does it say? His presence. He was dwelling among his people. And by day, it could be seen as a pillar of cloud. By night, it could be seen as a pillar of fire. And every moment, God was present with his people such that all they had to do was trust him and follow him. The pillar showed them where to go, when to go, how to go, at what pace they should go. The people followed the pillar because they believed that the Lord was doing good for his people through the pillar. God was present with his people every step of the way. Their response of faith was to follow him. Any of you besides me wish we had a pillar? Anybody? No, just me? Okay. Well, let's pretend that, that you do, okay? So, um, you know, if you could wake up every morning and there'd be a, a magical tablet sitting beside your bed and you'd pick it up and it would say, here's the 18 things that the Lord wants you to do today in, in this exact order. Anybody sign up for that, that service? The Lord's not going to give us that because that doesn't require faith. See point two. But he hasn't left us without a guide. Here's what I want to contend for you today. Today, if you're in Christ, Jesus is your pillar. If you're in Christ, Jesus is your pillar. Convince me of that, okay? The pillar represented God's presence among his people so that they would follow him, right? 
Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. One of those good Christmas passages. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, which means, God with us. Jesus is the presence of God for his people. How did Jesus call people to himself? Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus called people to himself to say, follow me. Have you ever wondered why Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan? Because the children of the Lord follow the Savior. That's why. Okay, well, how do we do that? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Paul writes, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. If you piece that together, Christ is God's presence with his people And the people of Jesus follow Jesus through this world all the way into the eternal home which he's gone to prepare for them. And we know how to follow him through the sound words and the word that he has left with us which was inspired by his spirit and preserved by his spirit and interpreted for us by his spirit. We have a pillar. His name's Jesus. The people of Jesus look to him and follow him. What does the Lord require from us? That we would love him and follow him. We don't have to chart our own path. The Lord is charting it for us. We're his people. Do all he commands because we trust his word. Our journey is about joining the faithful masses who follow Jesus no matter the cost. And everything that's been hardwired into us about finding a way to be unique and finding our own road and finding the better road, most of it is hype that disappoints the safe paths, the secure paths, the joyful paths, the paths that honor the Lord are the ones that say, I will dwell in his presence by faith and I will one step at a time, one day at a time, commit myself to Christ and to his way and to his good and to his mercy. In essence, what the pillar is shouting is, Don't look around. Don't wonder about the other paths. You follow me. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, our future is about following Christ all the way to the end of this life. And his grace and his faithfulness will use our following 
to prepare us to enjoy him forever in our everlasting home. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, here's the invitation. There's room for you in this faithful mass of people who follow after Jesus. It's a good and a safe place to be. It's a joyful place to be. We invite you to consider him today. Our Father and our God, we pray now that you would speak your word to your people. That you would teach us and shape us and you would make us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.